Good morning. Our names are to Chris and to Shara Samuel. Today we'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. If you're using our Pew Bibles, it's on page 1002. I'll give you a moment to get there. Once you get there, say, follow me. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good morning to you. Um, how's everybody doing today? All right, all right. We got the Christmas lights. We got the decor. This is my wife's favorite part of the year, just decorating the church and the house. The other day she said, uh, our house looks so beautiful and uh, you didn't do anything. <laughs> and I just had to acknowledge, I was like, yeah, that is right. You, you did it all. <laughs> she just needed to know. Um, the affirmation there, and uh, we, so we love this time of year, and, and I'm here. I want to give you a little backstory. So my name is Matt Reynolds. I, I was a pastor at, at the Grace Family for 16 years. I'm still part of the Grace Family, um, and part my, I was a pastor of this one church within the Grace Family uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and Grace was really a church that came out of just pursuing the next generation. So I came to faith through a ministry called Young Life that was supported by Grace, and we got in there, there's all these young people, and the church was growing like crazy, and they thought, let's build a mega church, you know, and, and the board, through kind of prayer, was like, you know, we feel like we're supposed to just plant a bunch of churches, not just do one big church. And so I ended up moving downtown um, after leading the college ministry for a while to, to, to uh, pastor this one church downtown called Grace Midtown, and then they just kept popping up. We just, just took over churches that were, that, that had waned or lost a pastor or whatever, you know, we were just kind of growing that way. And then I moved into being the executive director for the Grace family. And one of the things that happened in that time was we said, we really feel like there's some other churches out there that are just kind of, oh, they're doing well, but they're kind of maybe on their own. They want to be part of something bigger. We feel like there might be some pastors out there that want to be connected to a, a, a band of brothers and a family. And so that's kind of how we got introduced here to, to Westside. So I met Jason Jordan, who was the pastor here back in 2020 at a little retreat we did to bring some of these leaders together. And there really was just kind of an in, instant connection, a kindred spirit. And, um, and that's how the relationship started. But then we came here to Poplar Bluff in uh, 20, March 2021. I looked it up this morning to make sure I had all my dates right. And we said, all right, what's Poplar Bluff all about? You know, me, uh, the chairman of our board at the time came, and then another pastor, Ben Hardman, who had been 
up here as well to visit. And so Matt Blackburn and some other guys took us out to, uh, to go shoot some guns. You know, I'm, I'm like a city boy, you know, going, I don't really know how to handle this thing. And, uh, and I, couldn't, I couldn't hit anything because I, I can't close my left eye, but I'm right eye dominant. So we came up with some concoction to like tie this. I think I had a sweatshirt, honestly, or something tied over my head so I could just have my right eye. And then I finally started hitting something. You know, Matt was like, all right, you're pretty good, you know, but you look weird doing it. And uh, so we had a fun time. We were out here experiencing, you know, the life here, shooting those guns. And I remember we had all these shells on the ground. We shot a lot of, a, a lot of bullets. And Matt was going, man, that's, that's a lot of ammo. That's a pretty expensive <laughs> trip. So there was, a, there was a, a tithe and a hospitality that he extended to us through, uh, through that ammunition. Um, but, but as we sat with the people here, and that was a couple years ago, we just explored what would this look like to be in, in a deeper relationship. And we really did feel like there was just such a goodness here. I mean, that's the word I keep coming back to, just one of the fruits of the Spirit. There's a goodness. There was a, a sweetness, kind of that aroma of Christ that you feel, that we felt here in worship. And we said, yeah, we feel like, as, maybe as random as it seems, it's like God's bringing us together, you know? And we didn't know what was going to happen in the future. You never do. But Obviously, I, you know, I want to speak to the fact that your church has been through some very you know, intense things recently and some difficulties. And so right when we kind of heard the news, hey, there's some, there's some stuff going on you know, down at Westside and, and with Jason, you know, we said, we got we to go up there. And so we're here today, and I want to look at a passage that we just heard a part of from John 21. Um, and I want to give you a little backstory of this, this passage because... You know, how do we move forward in moments like these? You know, how do we move forward um, when there is brokenness, when there is um, pain and confusion about, okay, how do we move forward as a church, you know? Um, so, so this is the passage that, that God really put on my heart, and I'm ho- I hope this will speak to you um, today. So it's John 21 as a passage, but th- this is a moment after the resurrection of Jesus where... Um, Peter and Jesus and some of the disciples um, see, see the risen Christ. But really, it, it starts back in John 13, where he's been, the, Jesus has been telling the disciples, I am going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. i got to suffer uh, to do a redemptive act for all humanity. And they didn't understand it. You know? And sometimes God does stuff that we just totally don't understand. And, and Peter, you know, preaches a strong game. And I resonate with the character of Peter. He's very zealous. He's always telling Jesus what he's going to do for him. And so when Jesus is saying at that last supper where we get communion from, you know, there's this extended conversation that happens in John. And Jesus says, I'm going somewhere that, that you can't go. You'll follow me later, but you can't follow me now. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. So he just comes out guns blazing, you know. And then Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me if you had the opportunity? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I don't know what kind of claims you've made, but I know I've made claims in my life saying, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what I have to go through, I'm going to be faithful. And it's easy to make those claims. But then we get to the point where the rubber meets the road. And, uh, and before this John 21 moment, they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're 
you know, praying and they're gathered there. And then that's when the arrest of Jesus happens. And then he's taken to the high priest's house. And so all the disciples at that point, after Jesus gets arrested, scatter. Okay, couple Peter and one other guy go and follow along, kind of kind of hiding, kind of, you know, watching. And they get to the high priest's um, house and they're in this courtyard and we're told, you know, Peter has a chance to make good on his promise. And so they say, and we can, we've got the verses here. Um, Simon comes to this courtyard of the high priest, and it's cold outside. And it, we're going to learn later they're gathered around this fire. And this is the first question that's asked by one of the servant girls. She says, are you, you aren't one of his disciples, aren't you? And she asked this to Peter, and he replied, I am not. So that's the first denial. And then we go on, and there's another opportunity. Um, and we're told it was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And this is going to be an important part um, of where we're going today. And he's asked again, aren't you one of his disciples? I am not, he says. And then there's a third opportunity. If you remember in the garden, Peter, when he's about to get arrested, takes the sword and cuts this guy's ear off. I mean, it's pretty intense um, moment. And Jesus says, hey, stop. That's not what my kingdom's about. Um, so one of this guy's the high priest's servant, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, which name is, his, his name is Malchus, challenged Peter. So he gives him another chance, very clear challenges him. I don't really believe what you're saying. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So we have this moment. Um, one of the Gospels even tells us after this third denial, somehow Jesus looks at Peter and their eyes meet. And there's an acknowledgement around that first charcoal fire that they're gathered around that Peter has done the very thing he said he was, he was never going to do. One of the other gospels says Jesus looked right at Peter. After that third denial, the rooster crows, and Peter's, it says he goes away and he wept bitterly. He knows what's happened. He's denied Jesus. And I just, I don't want to pull any punches here. You know, we're here. Um, and this passage speaks today because there has been a denial. There's been a denial that's happened. And that's very painful. Um, I know it's painful to Jason, and I know it's painful to the church. And so this is the first charcoal fire. And then there's kind of a moment of, Rest and peace and anguish after that third denial. So the disciples kind of go their own way. They don't really know what to do. They're confused. They're lost. They're wondering, is everything we heard a lie? 
Is Jesus who he said he is? Have we given our life to something that's just a waste? I mean, what do we do? They're, they're, they're broken. They're confused. There's a couple moments that Jesus appears, it says, in John's gospel, and they see the empty tomb. So they're, they're, they're hopeful, but they still don't really know what it means. They don't really know what to do. And maybe you find yourself in that place. Um, I know there's probably been a lot of strong emotions and feelings and questions and wonderings. Um, what's the right move? Are we doing the right thing? What's next? What are we, what are we supposed to do? If you look at John 21, it says, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee this time, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven, seven total. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And this is the first kind of, um, well, maybe the second fill-in-the-blank here. Um, If you can put those blanks up, that would be helpful for me. The first one is Peter denied Jesus. That was the first one. Um, And and it's interesting, Peter's name, because he is renamed by Jesus. So his name by birth is Simon, which would have been a very common name. But then Jesus renames him in Matthew 16 and calls him Peter, which means rock or little rock. And he names him this when he says, you're the son of God. He kind of has a revelation. And Jesus says, you didn't, no one revealed this to you. This was revealed to you by the father. And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. It's not so much on the person of Peter. It's on the statement that Peter makes that This is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. But Peter's a big leader. He's the leader of the disciples. They're looking to him as the rock. And so when he goes through this denial, in a very real way, it's it's like the rock has crumbled. And the rock has been reduced to rubble. And I think Peter feels this. There's a brokenness inside of him that he didn't live up to what he had promised Jesus and what he wanted to do and to be. And there's a brokenness within the disciples. So they're in this place, and and Peter's feeling a lot of shame. I mean, he's feeling exposed. And he doesn't really know what to do. He doesn't know probably how to face Jesus again. He doesn't know how to face his brothers and there's a moment in here when, you know, we're told he goes fishing that we all do something when we don't know what to do. And I don't know what that would be for you. I mean, that's a good thing to think about. Look back in the patterns of your life. What do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do when I'm feeling maybe lost or confused or unsteady? Like, where do I go for comfort? And maybe you know it's not the most healthy thing. Maybe it's binging Netflix or shows or finding comfort in food or finding comfort in talking a certain way with people. There's all these coping mechanisms we have. Maybe it's not the healthiest thing or maybe it's actively unhealthy. And you go, I know this isn't healthy, but this is what I do and I don't know what to do. And this is where I'm feeling something. I'm feeling some kind of comfort. 
And that's what Peter does. He's like, okay, I don't feel confident in, in being a leader right now. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go back to what I feel confident in. I'm, I can fish. But it's very interesting. He goes back to that and he catches nothing. There's nothing there for him. And there's this emptiness where he's like, okay, I can't just go back to what I did. I can't just lean on those crutches. This is a moment of being called into deeper maturity. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, there's been this denial of Jesus by Peter, but the rest of the disciples ran away too. You know, they didn't fare much better. And I think for all of us, when we see something happen, we see a breakdown, we see a crisis, it's easy to say, oh my gosh, if I was in that position, I wouldn't do it. I would never do that. But we've all denied Jesus in different ways. We've all, you know, if all of us had to face what Jason's facing right now, I mean, that would be the most painful experience to face ourselves, to face our shortcomings, to face our denials. And so I just want to acknowledge that. Um, I, I don't stand here in any kind of high horse or pride this morning. I mean, if I had to face everything that, you know, I've done in secret, I would probably be one of the most miserable things in my life, you know? And so we all have those moments. Um, but I want to acknowledge it. We don't want to shy away from it. I, I don't want to avoid the truth. And that's what I love about the scripture. It says plainly what actually happened. It doesn't cover things up. So Peter goes fishing. He doesn't know what else to do, but he's not catching anything. There's no fruit. There's no progress. And then we see Jesus come on the scene. And that's a really important question to ask. Like, okay, so what does Jesus do? How does Jesus enter in? It says in verse 4, Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize it was Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is coming in our life, and we don't recognize it's him. And that's interesting about the resurrected Jesus. Everyone kind of looks at him twice like, it's him, but he's different. It's him, but he's more. It's kind of like, um, it's the guy in the Lord of the Rings, Gandalf. He was Gandalf, and then he died. Then he's like Gandalf the Great. You know, he's the white wizard. And I would say that's something that happens to us through our life as we continue to walk with God and develop through difficulty and through great high seasons. People go, yeah, I see you. It's still you but you're different. You're more. And I, I think that's a great, I did not say this in the first service, but even when I was, I was reading this, it's like, I do, I do feel like there's, there's a hope for Westside. It's like, you're going to be the same. Like you're Westside, but you're different. You're more. There's a resurrection on the other side of the suffering we grow through, go through. You're not there. There's no rush to be there. But if we're actually becoming like Christ, then this is part of it too. It's you, but you're more than you were. And so they see him there. How does he address them? Again, think about this. This is a real moment on the shores of Galilee. Anybody been to Galilee? Has anybody stood on these shores? Man, I, I hope one day maybe you get to read this passage there. Maybe put that on your bucket list. This happens. They ran away. They've denied Jesus. And how does Jesus address them? This just strikes me. He called out to them, friends, friends. He addressed them as friends. Haven't you any fish? 
And again, this is the humor of God. It's the week of joy and Advent. He knows the answer to the question he's asking. You catch anything? No, they answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, this moment happened to Peter when he first kind of meets Jesus. I think it's in Luke chapter 5. You can read it later. They're not catching anything. And Jesus says, try over there. And they're mad about it. And it's the same thing we feel. We're like, I've already done that, Jesus. I'm not an idiot. But when Jesus tells you to do something, it usually turns out different than maybe you thought. And so Peter's like, okay, I felt this before. I've had this moment before. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. This is when they kind of see, oh my gosh, I know who this is on the shore. It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. So a lot of commentators think he's actually fully naked out there. Partly maybe to do the work, but I think it's a picture of what Peter's feeling. He's feeling exposed. He's feeling naked. He wraps his garment around him, jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Now, I think there's a lot going on in this moment. I don't want to miss it and pass it by. This is the only time these two words are used in the New Testament where it says there was this charcoal fire that they're warming themselves around. Peter's warming himself around at the denial of Jesus. And then how does Jesus call them to the shore? It says when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Same word. And so I'm going to light this again. My plan, by the way, was to make a big fire in one of those solo stoves. Anybody have one of those? They got those maces, which is a small one. But uh, I made a fire on my porch two nights ago, and there was a lot of smoke. And I was like, this ain't going to work. <laughs> so we got a candle. And I hope that you can kind of smell the, the match or smell some of what's coming off this thing, because it's actually pretty important. And uh, I had a kind of a wild experience this week where this new person that I met and we're kind of exploring feels like God's brought us together, basically. We had our second meeting, and for whatever reason, I said, you know, maybe at the beginning of our meeting we can read John 21 because I'm, I'm supposed to preach on this passage this Sunday, and I don't really know what to say. It's a difficult situation I feel like I'm stepping into. And then he said, you know, it's weird that you say that. My pastor, who offices out of this this house that we were about to meet in just did his PhD dissertation on John 21, all about the charcoal fire. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah, he's, he's about to be here. You can meet him. I said, I'd love to read that work. I don't know if you've read many dissertations are usually like the most boring thing you could ever read. The people writing it are like, this is terrible. I'm just doing it because I have to. And I said, I want to read it. And it was this beautiful written thing that really spoke deep. And I just want to read you a couple parts. This just really stood out. 
What's happening in this moment as Peter is literally swimming to the shore, which you see this in movies a lot. It's almost like there's a threshold he's crossing from one reality to the next. This is going to be like one of the most defining moments in his entire life. He's facing Jesus, probably his best friend, who he knows he's denied. Peter walks ashore and takes a deep breath. But with the inhale comes the unmistakable smell of smoldering charcoal. More than any other, a person's sense of smell holds the ability to bring them back to a particular time, a precise memory. This must have seemed a bit on the nose, literally, to Peter. Was the fire a taunt, a cruelty? Had Peter been brought this far only to be chastised at the last, just to be dragged through a highlight reel of his life's lowest moments? The fire reignites the night of agony Peter had been desperately trying to forget. I don't think he probably slept very much between those couple of days. And for a moment, the pain is freshly kindled. But this time, Jesus will bring the story to full consummation. I don't know if you've had this moment before, but there's a smell you smell and it just takes you back. That smells like my grandmother's house. Or that smells like that time that this significant memory happened in my life. For me, when I came to faith at the end of high school, as a senior in high school, it was pretty, pretty, pretty dramatic turnaround. Now, I was supposed to go on spring break to Panama City Beach, which we all know probably what happens there. But I got saved. I got baptized on Easter Sunday morning. And I didn't go to Panama City. I ended up going to Peru on a mission trip because they told me a little white lie and said, we got a spot open on this trip. Somebody dropped out or so. I don't know how they said it. And I was like, okay, I'll go. They were just trying to get me to go. And I went on this trip, and God just ruined me. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. I had never really been out of the country. I had never been on a mission trip. And we were just ruined by these kids and the whole ministry we did and everything we learned. But the reason I'm telling the story is because there was a smell we smelled driving around Lima, Peru. That was the smell of burning garbage. And it wasn't the worst smell. It wasn't a pleasant smell. It was just a very distinct smell. And I don't know why. That just got lodged in my memory. And every time, it'll just happen every so often, I'll have this smell. And it's, it's Peru. And it takes me back. I'm like, this is Peru. And there's just this feeling. There's this experience. Um, and it's very warming to me. I actually, I, I just relish it uh, because of what God did in that time. And I think this is a moment for Peter. I mean, he smells the charcoal fire. He's coming around the fire with Jesus. He's probably nervous. He's probably embarrassed. He doesn't know what to feel. He doesn't know what to do, but he's just coming. And I think this is a powerful moment because what I never realized in this passage is, yeah, Jesus and Peter are having a conversation, but there's six other people around that fire. And if I could just speak a message to y'all today, I think that's where you are as a church. Like we've been through some, we've been through the biggest challenge we've probably ever faced as a church. You know, we're dealing with a denial. How do we move forward as a church? How do we move forward as a staff? How do we move forward as a board? And 
this is kind of the picture that I really felt like God was speaking is, is that you're gathered around this charcoal fire. And Jesus takes some moments here just to have breakfast with them, just to sit with them before he moves forward and, and deals with the Peter kind of situation. They're gathered as a community. And there's a couple other things I want to read to you from this paper that I think are just beautiful. Um, says, soon Peter will need to confess directly to Jesus. But first, he needs to repent and be remembered to his community, like reconnected. Familiar with mending broken fishnets, he sets out this time to repair broken relationships. Only after we have come to the end of ourselves do we have any appreciation for the second fire. And I would say right now, that's, that's where you guys are at as a church. That work has, has just begun of what does it look like to reconcile in a community way? What does it look like to come together? It's going to take some time. And uh, Scott Kendig is the executive director of the Grace Family Churches now. So he took the role that I had. Um, so he's going to be back in January. He's been a great resource. But we, him and I, had the opportunity to uh, sit with Jason yesterday just to, just to sit around the charcoal fire. And um, I'm encouraged by true brokenness. Um, but I think Jason's just in the, in the, in the middle. I mean, there's a, there's a long road ahead of truly feeling the weight of what's happened and the consequences, um, of these actions. And I want to read this other thing to you because, you know, it's like, well, so what do we do? How, how do, how do we, how do we be in this? How do we sit around this charcoal fire? And, you know, I think the meal represents something powerful, that before there's this moving on to what's next in this new commission that Peter eventually gets to step into, there's just this being, this communing, this hanging out around the fire. And that's part of why we're here. We're here to just hang out with you guys around the fire. I mean, I know you're in Advent series. Jesus came and he's coming again, but he is with us. And besides us doing all this stuff for him, I think a lot of the time he's like, just be with me. And he's with you in the midst of this. It's not pleasant, but he is available if we'll just be still and, and be with him. So there's a witness, but there's also a witness with just being here with the staff, with the board, with Jason. And I just want to tell you, I'm committed to that. I'm a volunteer leader now. So God called me on to, Go do ministry outside the church, and I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. I don't know how to make money. I was a pastor for too long. <laughs> but I'm trying to follow God. But I'm here because I want to be here because I feel like I made a commitment to you guys and to Jason. To, and, and it's really just about sitting around the fire. So I, I want to read you this part because I think it's important. This is, again, from this, this Jordan Warner, this, this man's paper I needed to read. It says, at the moment he was most disqualified for leadership, Jesus brought Peter to a campfire circle of true friends. Peter had wounded his brothers. 
in his unfaithfulness. He had abandoned his post. There are real consequences, relationally and vocationally, for this, and we should not minimize them. Still, Jesus' healing for Peter began with his restoration into a company of pastors, a community of co-leaders. If Peter was to have any future in this work, it would need to begin with the conviction that he could no longer go it alone. So again, Peter's very zealous. He's been a leader. He's doing all this stuff for God. Now he's come to the end of himself. He's undone. It's going to get even worse when Peter, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you really love me, Peter? And then he finally starts to get it. And he said, it says in the text, he's hurt. He starts to feel the emotions and the fallout from the denial. He says, God, you know everything. You know I love you. I can't love you the way I want to. But I do, I do love you. There's an undoing that happened with Peter. And I think there's an undoing that's happened with Jason. And we're committed to sit with him and be with him. But there's real consequences for the choices. And, and that needs to be said. And I think that needs to be done. Um, and, and I think Jason's on his road of, of brokenness. But that, that, the first stage of it, even the brokenness, I don't think is, is complete. It needs to go deep. And we have to get to the end of ourselves. I think that's the key here. I'm at the end of myself where I realize I cannot do it. Another commentator says, Peter experienced a major undoing his self-assertedness had come to an end because Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? The third time did it. He finally got to the end of himself. Facing up to oneself is a traumatic experience. I don't want to underestimate that. I mean, if we have to fully face ourselves, it, is, it should be traumatic. We're going, wow. <sighs> Am I willing to face the honest truth? Am I willing to see myself? That's the place that God wants us to get. That's where he can really actually start to work in our lives. And so that's just the reality. That's where you guys are. That's where the church is. That's where the board is. We're, we're at the end of ourself. But Peter, when he finally had given up on saving himself, he could finally be saved. And I think that is the, the hope, that there can be some salvation of God when we get to the end of ourselves. Renewal, another... A uh, writer that has worked with a lot of people in these places of brokenness and restoration says, Renewal is a special encounter with God where God communicates meaningful things to us that help us move forward. That's the hope, but I don't think Jason's there, and I don't think the church is there. We can't just move on and rush ahead and say, All right, let's just keep it, keep it going. Business as usual. Let's, what's next? What's the vision? I think we got to spend some time just around that charcoal fire. God, what do we need to know? What needs to be undone in us? How do, how do we move forward in a new way? Just to kind of cut to the chase here, when Jesus does restore 
Peter in this new kind of ministry commission, you know, when he first met Peter, he said, you're a fisher and you're going to be a fisher of men. And I think Peter felt comfortable in that. I know how to fish. I know how to bring people in. And he was doing that and he was ambitious and he, and he saw a lot of stuff happen. But then after this moment, after this brokenness, Jesus gives him a very different commission. Just listen to this. When they had finished eating, it looks like they're on this stroll. They're on this walk now. And this is where Jesus says, do you really love me more than these? What does that mean, more than these? Maybe it's more than the other disciples. Do you love me more than your friends? But I think it's deeper than that. Do you love me more than your reputation? How everybody viewed you? Do you love me more than what you're going to do for me? Do you love me more than all the, the, the thoughts and the ambition you had for your own life and your own leadership? Do you love me more than that? And then the response is when he says, you know I love you. Then he says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's no longer saying be a fisher of men. Now he's saying be a shepherd of people. I think there's something in that. It's, it's two different ways to do ministry. Maybe the fishing was good in that early stage, and I know you guys have done a lot of fishing. We're bringing people in. But then there's a new paradigm. What does it mean to be a shepherd? What does it mean, what does it mean to care for those that have been entrusted to you? It's a different kind of ministry. And I wonder if that's part of the, the deeper work that, again, you didn't ask for this. No one, no one signed up for this, but this is what it looks like to follow Jesus in this season. What does it mean to be a shepherd? What does it mean to do ministry in a different way? And I would say it's, it's when you're young and ambitious, you haven't gone through hard stuff. You haven't suffered, and so it's fun. <laughs> and it's awesome, and you're seeing the revival. It's amazing. You're seeing the life change, and you feel invincible. You feel, you feel good. You feel powerful. You feel confident. Now Peter feels broken and maybe like he doesn't have much to offer, which is oddly the very best place to be. God starts working in that place. And so once we have suffered and reached the end of ourselves, we start to minister out of brokenness and wounding. And uh, I'm sure you've heard it before, but you know, the wounded healer, what does it mean to really... When we've suffered, we're walking with a limp. <laughs> Ministering out of that place is a little bit different. And I wonder if that's something that will mark the next season of the church here. When Jesus gives Peter this new kind of commission and then adds what we heard before, when you were young, you went where you wanted to do and did what you wanted to do. But when you're old, you're going to go a different way you don't want to go. And someone's going to lead you to a place and you're going to stretch out your hands. And he says, he was speaking of the kind of death that Peter would face to glorify God. And then he says to him, follow me, follow me. Peter turns and sees John, who's kind of walking along with them. And he immediately says, well, what about him, Lord? Which is, this is what we do when we're in seasons of uncomfortability. We're undone. Jesus is calling us to follow him in, in a new uncomfortable path. This is our, it's a deflection. We say, well, what about him? What about that guy? And maybe you found yourself saying that. Like, what about them? Why me? I don't want to have to walk through this. I don't want to have to lead through this. I don't want to have to minister through this. 
It's, it's natural to say that, but Jesus refocuses it and he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He basically says, who cares, Peter? Stop asking about John. I'm talking to you. You follow me. I got three boys at home. I mean, this is all, this is all I ever hear. Caleb did this. Emmett did this. Well, I did this because they did that. <laughs> what about them? What punishment are you going to give them, Dad? <laughs> That's what I always do. They want, they want blood. What punishment are you going to give them? And I have to just say, I'm talking to you right now. I think that's what happens here. So, so I want to ask you that question. What does it look like for you to follow Jesus? As you're sitting around the fire, I mean, I'm, I mean this literally, as you're praying, as you're wrestling through this, you know, Lord, what, what does it mean for me to follow you well? And maybe you didn't sign up for the difficulty you're going through in this season, but you're in it. How are you going to follow him well through it? It's so easy for us to look at other people and say, you know, well, if I had their life or their circumstance, I would have done this or that. But we're responsible for our life. Have we taken responsibility for our actions? Regardless of what motivated them, this is what I chose. This is what I decided. This is what I did. Until we can get to that place, we're not stepping into full ownership and responsibility. And being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean I don't do anything. God does everything for me. No, it means we take responsibility for our life and say, I'm going to decide to follow God and what he's calling me to do. And I, I do want to challenge you with that. What does what that following look like? You know, and I think Jason's on a journey and Westside is on a journey. They're two different journeys. And, and both journeys are important. Um, I want to show you this. Um, what does Jesus do? And we'll end with this. The first thing Jesus does, because what do you do in this moment? What, what could following Jesus look like? You know, he continues to initiate and show up. I mean, this is why we love Jesus. They all ran away. They all denied him. Jesus shows up on that shore. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. He keeps showing up. There's one thing I've learned in ministry. It's just showing up. I mean, that's part, that's most of it. Just keep showing up. It takes courage. It might be uncomfortable at times. I'm going to continue to keep showing up. You know, I, I don't know how God's prompting you to continue to show up in this situation, but follow those promptings of the Spirit. The second thing Jesus does is he extends hospitality. He makes them a meal. What does hospitality look like for you? I think that's one of the distinctives of this church. We felt it when we came. We felt it from the leaders. We felt it. Every time we've been with you, like there's just this hospitality that's so Christ-like. What does it look like to practice hospitality in this season for Jason, for his family, for the people in this church that are feeling different things? God's going to give you those promptings, and you've got to lean into that. This is where the power is. The third thing Jesus does is he, he restores Peter and provides a new call. That's a hope down the road that, that we have. And then the fourth thing is he calls Peter to follow him emphatically. Make the choice. The choice is yours. Follow me. So that's what I'm saying. Jason's on a journey of responding to that call of following Jesus. And Westside Churches on that has a, has a story and a, a, a journey of what does it mean to follow him well in this next season?
think there is a lot of hope, though, because if we look at the end of Peter's life, he has a thriving ministry. He's raised up people, he's raised up church leaders, and he writes in 1 Peter, the, the, the letter that you've probably read before, and he uses some of the exact language that Jesus gave him in this moment about shepherding to encourage other people that he's passing the ministry on to. And he says this in 1 Peter 5, 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. So Peter learned from this utter brokenness he went through. He became the shepherd that Jesus said he could be. And um, I just want to say, I mean, the, 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 the board and staff here, what I've experienced is just a strength of shepherds here. I mean, y'all just have an amazing team and heart. Again, you didn't ask for this, but I just want to affirm the shepherding that you've done, even bringing us into what you're experiencing in the care last night, the hospitality, the conversations that have happened, tens of conversations, probably getting close to maybe hundreds of conversations. I just want to say the work that Matt and the board has done, the work that Alex and the staff has done, I just, we just want to affirm what's written here in 1 Peter. I think this is what you guys are doing. You're being shepherds of God's flock under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. And maybe that just starts every morning going, all right, I'll do another day. I'm willing. I'm showing up. Help me follow you, Jesus. Not pursuing dishonest game, but eager to serve. Even in the difficult decisions, I think this is their heart. And I just want to applaud that. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So, We're for Jason and the Jordans, and we're for Westside Church. And there's, a, there's two journeys here, and we're here for you. Um, we affirm the godly heart and character that so many have displayed here. And um, somehow, oddly, in God's economy, we're encouraged being here. We're learning. We're growing God's ministering to us, literally. I mean, Scott and I reconnecting and talking about what God's doing in other places is somehow being encouraged by even the suffering here. So I just want to say that that is true. You know, no one's paying me to be here. I'm here as a volunteer leader because <laughs> I want to be and I'm better for it. Oh, thanks for flying out here and driving out here. No, this isn't hard. We want to do this because relationship matters. The church matters. Communities matter. Jason matters. His family matters. The church matters. I mean, we're in it with you guys. So that's, that's pretty much what I came to say. And um, I'd love to just pray for you, and then we'll take communion. Lord, I just thank you for this, this group of people, this church. Thank you that there's been a fishing ministry of bringing in many people. I've heard testimonies today of just people who have come to faith, come back to life 
they're resurrected. They're the same, but they're different because of the ministry of this church. Thank you for that. Lord, show, show Westside Church as a, as a part of the bigger Grace family. What does it mean to be a, a shepherd? What, is, what does that shepherding season look like? I just pray for grace and patience and time to just be still and know that you are God, that we can't do it. Um, we sit with you around the fire. Shepherd us. Shepherd Westside, God, what does it mean for you to shepherd? What does it teach us how to be shepherds? What does that new season look like to, to be caring for those that you've entrusted to us? And we all have influence. We all have people that you've given to us. Help us all, each one of us, know how to shepherd well. The kids we have, the spouses we have, the friends we have. Help us not beat ourselves up. This will not last forever. Everything isn't messed up in our life and our church because one thing is really broken. And this isn't our fault. You know, I don't know how many people beat themselves up here. If I would have done more, if I would have known more, if I would have been smarter, wiser, if I would have, this isn't personal. It's just something that happened. And Lord, it will not last forever. Help us, encourage us, give the words that only you can speak that everybody needs to hear in this season. Thank you that it is about you, Jesus. We don't want to avoid the truth in front of us, but you know what? The greater truth is it is about you. You are building your church. You hold all things together. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and we're just a very small part of your mosaic, your unfolding story. Help us to have eyes to see that. Give us grace, God, just to be gracious to ourselves. Give us words of grace to speak kindness and grace to each other. Give us the courage to have the real conversations that need to be had. Help us not chatter in the, in the corners, but just ask the questions we have to, the, to those that uh, can give you know, answers. We don't need to know everything, but if we're not understanding stuff, help us just ask the questions that are on our hearts. So lead us and guide us in this time, and we, we follow you and we trust you because where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of life. So we trust you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.